This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. Well, I've got Phil Francone back on from Mindle today, and we're going to talk mainly about the newest boot that those guys released, and that's their Eurolite boot had a chance to wear this quite a bit this fall and I tell you what every every lightweight boot I've worn in the past it always seems to not have the support that I need and this boot by far is different um I just want to talk over that for anybody that's looking for a, a lightweight boot and then all the other exciting things that are going on over at Mindo. how are you doing today Phil I'm doing really well about yourself good doing awesome. good enjoying uh lovely winter weather here in Michigan uh, the same in Nebraska. It is cold, it is foggy, and we are ready for a little bit of a melt. Well, I think you're still a couple months away, aren't you? I think we've got some time in front of us, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, before before we uh, we get into the, the new boots, how was your hunting this fall? Were you able to get out anywhere cool? Yeah. Um, I'll be honest with you. I had a pretty quiet fall. We had a lot going on at the office. I had a lot going on in real life and my big hunt this year was at my farm in kansas and i spent a lot of time looking at deer um last season i killed 181 inch uh basically a mainframe eight with a with extras on my farm it's it's the biggest deer of my career by far and so i spent a lot of time contemplating should i shoot another deer this year um, uh-huh. and I've been, I've got three deer that I really, really wanted to see that I had on camera. I saw all three of them face to face and I decided not to kill any one of them. And, um, I just think they're a little young and having that 181 on, on my wall, I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to be pretty patient this year. So I spent a lot of time just enjoying being in the stand, enjoying watching deer, uh, bobcats, ducks and geese flying over, um, coyotes running through the whole thing just i just enjoyed being outside for two weeks and rather than feeling like i uh um, had the pressure of you know needing to go go get a deer you know well it sounds like you were you had the freedom there's a lot of pressure that comes with hunting um, a lot of the time and it's nice to every once in a while get that to where you just you get in one of those mindsets to where you don't have pressure and that's when you take everything in just like you mentioned there like how many sunrises and sunsets and coyotes running through and seeing a bobcat and all the stuff that you kind of take for granted when yeah. you sit in a tree stand. I don't, I don't know that I've had, I mean, I've, I've certainly had a more successful hunt, sure. But from a satisfaction standpoint, when I got home um, after being gone for a couple of weeks and just enjoying that time, I was like, I, I just felt really, I just felt great. Like that was one of the best hunts um, that I'd done in, in, in a long time. Just relax and ready yeah, to go. Was, well, I got it. It's great. I've, we got we got to go back though, because you don't shoot a 181 inch mainframe eight and not talk about it. So, <laughs> you, did you have that one on trail cam, or was that one that just appeared? I did. Um, I've I've been watching. I've been watching it for three years, and I've got uh, two sets of his sheds, uh, and then I, and then obviously his third set is still attached to his skull cap. But um, 
I had watched him just kind of growing up. I, I, I knew early that he was going to be a good deer. He was just super uh-huh. heavy, super massive and had super fantastic G2s. And, uh, I found his, uh, his full set of sheds from the year before. And they, and if you give him a 16 inch inside spread, he scored 157, 158. I don't remember the exact, um, nuts and bolts of it. And I thought, well, that's pretty good, pretty good eight point. And then the next year I saw him and he was absolutely massive. And his G2s ended up being 16 inches a piece. Um, he's got, I think, 13 or 14 inches of just extra stuff hanging around. Um, he's got some splits and he's got a couple of um, things that just kind of pop out in pretty awesome places. And I just, I, I, when I saw him on the hoof, I was, I was just absolutely forward. And, and that was the deer I was going after. Um, I hunt with my neighbor to the south quite a bit. We're good buddies and uh, Trevin Stolzfus uh, from Outback Outdoors. We spend a lot of time together. So we just set up and I said, look, this is where, what I'm doing. This is the only deer I'm going to take. Uh, luckily, and by the grace of God, I, that deer walked out in front of me and I ended up taking him at like 10 yards. He was just right below my right below my stand and was unbelievable. Wow. So how old did you have him aged? I did not have him aged. I, excuse me, I believe he was five and a half. Um, so I just looking at his sheds and, and how I've had him and, and, and I know for sure that I've th- those three years, I, I believe he was three and a half, four and a half, um, on the sheds I have, and then five and a half when I finally was able to take him. Wow. So some of the deer that you have that you saw this year, you think they're in that, that three and a half to four and a half year old range? Yes, I do. Excuse me. I've got a really, really wonderful 10 point down there with really tall brow tines. I'm probably gonna say they're eight plus inches long and, and uh he but he's just at the edge of his ears and i think he's three and a half maybe four and a half and then i've got this really gnarly buck that the neighbor uh they're a young uh, girl up on the neighbor uh, place and she calls him medusa he's just, he's just everywhere there's no there's no rhyme or reason to his antlers he's just a neat looking deer um i don't think he's gonna score very well but he's uh He's a deer that I think would be really unique on the wall, and and I'm gonna. So I think he'll probably be on my target list this year because I do believe he made it through based on game camera picks and talking to my neighbors. I don't think anybody was able to take him. Gotcha. And how big how big a farm do you have in Kansas? I I own 285 acres, and then okay, uh, I'm right along uh, the Vertigus River down there, and the Vertigus River is kind of a neat little. It's more of a creek than it is a river. But it's uh, a deep walled, you know, uh, flint rock bottomed river, and it's it's just it's beautiful down there. I absolutely love it. And it sounds like you've got some neighbors around you that are doing the same conservation I'm, and yes. trying to grow some big deer. I'm very fortunate to have the people that I have around me. I've got really fantastic neighbors, and and uh, it's kind of a it's it's been very successful for all of us. We've re- we've really improved the habitat. We've done the food plot maintenance thing. We've done all of the things that you'd want to do for um, keeping trails open and, and we've hinge cut a bunch of trees and we trap down there quite a lot, which I'm actually heading down there tomorrow, uh, to trap. And, uh, we just, we've done a lot of things to make sure that we kind of, uh, maintain that property and, and give the turkeys, the quail and deer, the home that they need and that they're comfortable in. How many coyotes do you guys trap a year? We don't trap on many. average. So, okay. Unfortunately we, um, it's just there, there's only so many days in the year and everything takes so much time. Yeah. I, I, and I, that farm is, for me, five hours from from where I live. So I have to drive down there. And, and uh, so what we do is we usually trap five, six, seven days a year. So we'll run a trap line. And trapping coyotes is, they're just so wary and their nose is so oh, strong. So and so I, can we ca- do we catch coyotes? Yeah, we'll usually catch three or four a year. But they're so wary. Our, I don't think our trap line gets to soak long enough to get all of our scent and all that stuff away to get them to where they're confident coming in and stepping into our traps. But, gotcha. but I would tell you, we trap, uh, we ended up, my buddy runs his line with me. He comes down from Omaha and last year in six days, we caught five bobcats. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we got a lot of, a, a lot of bobcats and we caught a couple of beauties with some really nice, you know, upper 20 uh, pound weight cats and for for kansas up upper 20 pound cats pretty good tusk cat for sure and you're doing uh the quail quite a favor taking those bobcats out we are excuse me we are on we we go on your place on your place do you have lots of quail 
I usually have about three cubbies and I would say on average, each of those cubbies is probably between 12 and 20 birds. And um, so I, I'm probably, I'm overly cautious with them. I'm very nice to them. I don't actually hunt them. I, I, I kind of prefer having them around. And so um, I, I have chased those quail one time in the, and I've owned the farm for 10 years and I, I've actually hunted the birds once. And, uh, so for me, it's, uh, the, the turkeys, which certainly need, um, care at this point after all of the die off that went through Kansas. I know, I don't know if you've heard, but we used to be able oh, yeah. to get three turkey tags. Now it's down to one and it's been really gnarly. We would have about 150 turkeys wrapped up between my place and the neighbor's place every winter. And so two years ago, the most I saw was seven. And this year I saw 28. So I feel, I feel like we're on the, um, on the upward swing, but man, the turkeys really took it in the teeth. And, and that was another, you know, that's another reason we trap so hard, whether it be skunks or coons or, uh, coyotes or cats or whatever, we, we try to get anything that will raid a nest, um, caught in a trap. I've heard so many different, different theories on, on why the turkey numbers took such a hit in Kansas. Yeah. What's what's like you on just on your farm, if you look at your farm and your neighbor's farm, like what do you think was the some of the reasons why? Yeah. I, I am I am no biologist. Talk to talk to several. Um tried to figure out as much as I could figure out, just tried to understand it. And there's two things that that always came up every single time. Number one is predation and number two mm-hmm. is uh bird flu. And mm-hmm. and I I just, I can't imagine from the the time that I've owned the farm over the last 10 years that the predators got so bad, particularly three years ago. It just wasn't the case. So something happened. Some disease came through there, some kind of a bird flu or whatever, I think killed them. That's a very uneducated um, thought process, but it is, that's what I, that's what I think happened. Well, hopefully they, they rebound on the other side of that and the ones that made it yes. have something that's resistant and, yes. they, and they, they pop back. The good thing about turkeys is if they can get a couple good hatches, I mean, they can come back pretty darn quick. Exactly right. And that's, that yeah. is certainly my hope. I have, I've not killed a turkey down there in three years because of it. It's been, um, I haven't, my, I haven't let anybody hunt and I haven't hunted um, for the three years just to make sure that like, I just want to give them everything they can um, to come back and to thrive. What well, sounds like you're managing your farm correctly for ju- for everything that's there, right? I'm a big big upland hunter, as you yes, know. Yes, yes. And and wild quail are so delicate. Like they if you were, really if, if they're they're so delicate. Winners, predation, like there's so much that affects them. And like everybody asks, so if you had three coveys of quail on your on your place, what like what's the what's the number that you could hunt year after year? And I'm like, man. If you get into one of those coveys, you only want to shoot one or two a year. Correct. Like at the at the at the most, if you want to keep those coveys in the same population that you've got now, somewhere between that twelve and, and 15, 18 birds a yes. year, right? Yes. You can't go in there and shoot six because you're no. taking. I mean, you're taking too many females out, and it's yes. just there's too many other things that go after them. Um, and everybody's like, "That's it," and I'm like, "If you want quail, are so so delicate that to hunt them and manage them correctly, like that's what you could go in and take." Like uh, hunting the Mern's quail down in Arizona, like you'll, those coveys will start on the public land. And they'll have eight to twelve, right? Yeah. Well, then, like everybody goes in, and you're like, I'm, I'm just gonna shoot one, right? Shoot one out of there. Yes. Well, the problem is there's thirty hunters coming in there, <laughs> and if each of them keep banging those quail out, that's how all of a sudden at the end of season you're putting up a covey that's got one or two. And yes. You're like, well, everybody took one out of it, right? So yes. just, quail are so so delicate to manage and so forth but one of the one of my favorite favorite game birds to hunt because there's nothing that's ex- as exhilarating as when you put up that covey for the first time right like they're just going yes. everywhere it gets the heart going if that doesn't start your heart nothing will exactly exactly it, it's wonderful and and, and I, I i do obviously i'd love to be able to hunt them but i do get enjoyment out of sitting in the tree stand and having the covey you know screaming underneath your stand and i'm just like you you got to find a way to enjoy having them but for me shooting them isn't isn't my first priority that's for sure yep no sounds like you're doing it right there well i know you had you mentioned you had a busy busy fall and i have to imagine a lot of that had to do with the launch of your new boot um how did the launch go unbelievably well um it's 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 going to be 
this will certainly be our number one hunting boot um, from a volume perspective. The, mo- the most pairs that we'll get out there, we're super proud of it. We're, we're just, um, we put together a plan to communicate. We were late, unfortunately, obviously in this world of, I hate to say it all the time because it's, it sounds like a crutch, but the post COVID world where sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to get all your stuff together. It took us some time and it took us a lot of development to get this boot where it needed to be. So there was a lot of stress in it, but, uh, we, we, we got the boot built. We got it out there, there to the public and the public really accepted it. And it's, it's just an awesome lightweight boot. And so like, just go over some of the specs of the boot sure. real quick. Like what's the weight of it? Um, the styles that you've got and so sure. forth. Sure. Uh, the weight of the boot on average. So what we do when we weigh a boot so that we can try to be as equitable as possible. Cause the 13 doesn't weigh the same as a seven. We weigh mm-hmm. a size nine and a half and size nine and a half is 3.3 pounds per pair which is I think a couple of tenths lighter than actually our original ultralight boot um, that we had, that we built uh, three years ago, four years ago. And we sell it in a couple different variations. We've got a, a men's version that's insulated with uh, 300 grams of air, uh, Gore-Tex air fiber um, insulation in it. And we've got an uninsulated version of the same for men. And then we have an insulated version for the women, which is uh, a 300 gram air fiber insulation as well. And uh, we will launch another uh spin off of this boot line in 2024. Okay. Can you can you hand it what that spin off is yet? Yeah. Um it's just imagine it to be uh, uh I don't want to get too far into it, but it will it'll be a nice addition to the line that will allow you to make this a true four season product. Okay. All right. I like that I like that hint. Yeah. Now what is some of the what is some of the the customer feedback that you're hearing on these boots? I know I like I know it's early and you guys rolled out late, but yeah. you guys have already won some awards on them too, right? We did. Actually, Field and Stream gave us the Field and Stream uh, Best of the Best Award for the, the traditional hunting boot category, which is pretty fantastic um, to get that kind of an accolade right off the bat, to have them reach out and just give us that award. We were super pumped because uh, we were late to the game with that the launch of that shoe and or that boot. And... Um, we kind of weren't expecting to have that opportunity. We, we thought we were going to be a little bit too tardy to the party. And, and it turns out that uh, it worked out really well. And uh, they love the product. They, they put it on a few of their testers. We gave it um, to a few folks that were hunting with them in a camp just so that everybody could kind of get a feel for it and, and kind of maybe sit around the fire and chit chat about it. And it turns out that uh, they, they think as highly of the boot as we do. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Especially coming in late. Yes. Yeah. So like when you, when you sat down, it's, I mean, it obviously sounds like you've had lots of time in designing this boot, but Uh when you sat down and like, what was the the inspiration that you had behind building this lightweight boot? It's a good question. And so when you go back in the annals of time through Mindel, the Mindel family built boots that were meant to go to the top of the mountain and the weight in those days really wasn't the first factor it was durability and and warmth and and making sure that you got up and you got back down from the top of that mountain the world and, that, and that's european um i would call it hunting culture even and climbing culture and hiking culture they they have wonderful opportunities to climb through the mountains of the, the mm-hmm. austrian alps and all the things and it's gnarly over there so they wanted something that would get them from the top to bottom and lightweight was never really a consideration in our world, in the United States, North America, lightweight is one of the first considerations. And when you look from a competitive landscape, there are a ton of lightweight boots out there. But a lot of those boots, um, they have to compromise in order to get to uh, that lightweight status. They take some things away. They take some structure away. They take some um, internal components away. They don't use a great midsole or polyurethane midsole or anything like that on the boots. So um, you end up, in my opinion, getting a boot that's less supportive. So our inspiration was to take everything that we are at Mindle, a comfortable, very durable, um, very supportive structure, and make it as light as we possibly can without compromising. So that was that was the base of the thought process of, of how to build this boot. I know I, I see this tagline everywhere. It's, it's everywhere, everywhere boot. 
like what what's the meaning behind that and in, in like it's catchy right like it's really catchy once you see it like what's the meaning behind that it is the the, the base of this boot and a lot of the inspiration like we talked about previously for this boot was to make a boot that you could wear just anywhere and and if you look back through Mindel's history they made boots that were made to get you to the top of a mountain very stiff very hardcore very durable and really they didn't spend a lot of time on the the guys like we have here in north america the deer hunter the turkey hunter you know the upland hunter now all of our boots certainly can fit that mold and we sell a lot to people that do wear them for those purposes but a lot of people in in today's day and age are looking for a boot that is more similar to what they wear every day a light hiker whatever they happen to wear they want something that's super comfortable super lightweight they can go out into the field in and 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 use basically every day so that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to make a boot that you could use every day, everywhere um, that you hunted, that you hiked, that whatever you're doing, even if you, uh, you know, work in it. I've got a few friends uh, who are farmers that we put these boots on just to see what it was like for a guy, how comfortable they were wearing them, you know, 365 days a year versus just, you know, mm-hmm. a few weekends hunting. And I have to imagine their feedback was pretty good. Yes, very good. We, we were yeah. we were pretty stoked um, in in our early field testing data. Everything that we got back from our field testers is was top notch. And I'll tell you, from a, a field testing standpoint, when you sit on our side of the fence and we and we want to make something of extreme quality, and we want to make sure that it's it's successful, we'd almost prefer to hear a bunch of negative feedback because if someone tells you, "Oh, it's a great boot," it's fantastic. There's really nothing mm-hmm. you can do with that data. It doesn't give you a point, you know, a counterpoint, the pros and cons of things that you can do to that boot to fix it. So um, we were a little nervous at first. Like everybody was kind of like, hey, it's fantastic. It's awesome. And like, you kind of want to hear, you, you, want, you want to hear a couple of cons <laughs> yeah. just to make sure that, that, you know, nothing hits the, you know, nothing hits the consumer um, in a negative way when this boot launches. And, and uh, we worked through a couple little quirks here and there but by and large everything we heard from that team was fantastic that's awesome so like if you and you probably get this question a lot so if you compare the Eurolite boot to uh, like one of your other boots like what's the main difference if you were if somebody's calling and they're on the fence right like which boot do i get how do you explain the difference in the Eurolite to the others on the line It's it's a good question and um what it comes down to like virtually every phone call that we get we or email that we get it starts off with what do you do where are you headed how do you like to hunt what are the things that you want to make sure that you, you you get that will make your your feet happy and your hunt successful and um so this one's pretty easy this one for me is flexibility this is easily our most flexible boot when you when a lot of people who are uninitiated into the mountain boot world who basically they've worn let's just call it typical hunting boots their entire career. They've never um, mm-hmm. ventured into the mountains and, and never uh, worn more of a hardcore boot. When they put on one of our more supportive heavy duty hunting boots, they, they, they're like, oh, man, these are really stiff. And they are, and they're supposed to be. And mm-hmm. they give you the support and they give you the lateral stability that you can, you know, traverse, you know, side hilling on uh, a shale slide in the mountains and, and make it through it without falling on your keister. This one, um, for the, for what I'm looking for, like the, the people we want to attack with this boot, the people that I think that need this kind of product the most, I'm, I'll call it the whitetail hunter. It's a guy that's out there every single day. He may, he may walk a couple miles into his tree stand. He may spend a lot of time glassing the hills, you know, on, on their hunting piece or whatever, um, but aren't necessarily climbing to the top of the mountain. And they need something that's light. They're, they're going to put on some miles. They need something that's super flexible because they want comfort at the end of the day. And so that's the kind of uh, person we want to put in this boot. And that's why we made it was for that guy. And I think that like, then that's the majority of hunters. It right? is the, there's, when, there's, when, you, when you, when you write it down on, on a piece of paper and you look at, you know, I, and I, I don't know if the data still holds true, but a million, um, deer licenses sold in Pennsylvania alone, just in Pennsylvania. Exactly. So when you look at that whitetail hunter, there's so many whitetail hunters and there are so many people that are out there doing this every day. I mean, go to, go to, go to the 
I'll call it Tennessee area, right? The, the squirrel hunters. Mm-hmm. There are so many people that go through the Smoky Mountains and they're chasing squirrels. They need a good boot. They need a good solid yep. boot, but they they don't need a mountain boot. They need a really comfortable, lightweight, stable boot that'll get them through the hills and stuff like that. So there's so many people that obviously the grandiose hunts get all of the the accolades and all of the. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the quarterback. The quarterback is going to get all of the uh, football team. He's going to get all of the headline and he's going to get all the press just like a, yep. a stone sheep hunt or a, a, a doll or whatever or a big elk hunt you know in, in new mexico but all all the while the white tail guy the the lineman of the group is is out there doing it every single day and they need a great product too just doing the work i know in michigan i think we're just we're usually right around the half a million deer hunters and yeah. i think this year it's like four hundred eighty thousand deer hunting licenses yeah. sold. and just one state the numbers are insane on whitetail hunting yeah you look at wisconsin you look at minnesota you look at uh michigan as you said pennsylvania there are so many deer hunters and so many people that need a quality product to get them through the hills that's that is the exact person that we want to put in this boot yeah yeah well i know you mentioned on the installation that you use in gore air fiber yeah um what's what's the reason behind that like you you hear fensalid or, sure. or prima loft like you hear those ones a lot like yeah. why'd you guys choose the the gore air fiber it's a great question so when um in in different constructions of boots um i i have been in the boot game since 1995 so i've built boots with fensalid i've built boots with prima loft i've built boots with gore-tex duratherm um, I have built it with now air fiber. Um, the reason we go with Gord air fiber is because of the actual internal structure of the boot. The way that we build that shoe actually allows us to keep the insulation on the inside portion of the waterproof area. In a lot of cases, um, insulation is actually laid over the top of a Gore-Tex lining or a Gore-Tex booty and that the insulation would be on the outside of the waterproof membrane. So if you, if you get your boot wet, your insulation's wet and you lose some mm. R value with the way Gore-Tex constructs this air fiber insulation, it allows us to keep that insulation dry and it keeps your foot a lot warmer, a lot longer. Uh, well, it seems like the perfect fit for the boot. Though. It's, it's, it is exactly what we needed it to be. So, and this is one that we talked about on our last last podcast, but I think it's worth talking about again. Um, like all your boots are made in Europe. Yeah. What's the big the big reason or the benefit that you guys choose to have your boots made over there versus any other country or region in the cool. world? Um, I will throw a caveat in there. We do make some lightweight trail running, trail hiking, like some all of our lightweight stuff, and the things that have I would consider a, a, like a more intricate upper, more in, intricate upper stitching and patterning. A lot of mm-hmm. that stuff, some of that stuff is still made in Asia. All of our, okay. all of our hunting boots, we do make in Europe and we do that on purpose, right? So, um, the Eurolite is right now being constructed in Italy for us. And the reason we do that is because we have direct control over that factory. If you do something in the far East, you're basically contracting with the factory and, that, and that's not bad. It happens all the time. Um, mm-hmm. when you have your own home factory and your own team and you're in that factory every single day i feel like you have better quality control you have you know just a better more firm grasp on the output of what's coming out of your home factory and the europeans they're kind of the they're the originator of the mountain boot they are the people that have been building this construction for eons and so i i want that cobbler i want that old school i want that uh i'll call it tribal knowledge of that European factory building their product because I think you get a better product. Leupold offers the best optics in the game, bar none. I personally have their BX4 range finding binos and never go to the field without their pro guide spotting scope. I've also got Mark V scopes on all my rifles and don't forget, they've got some pretty awesome eyewear as well. For more information, visit leupold.com. WTA Tags is a full service licensing program available to today's sportsmen. Bottom line, they help hunters draw the very best limited entry big game tags. They offer professional consultation on where to apply and then properly complete and submit your applications to the states. Tags has the easiest, most reliable, and most complete service to assist you in drawing that tag of a lifetime. 
For a free tags consultation, call 1-800-755-8247 or visit them online at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com slash tags. That's WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com slash T-A-G-S. No matter where I'm hunting in the world, I'm always wearing my Mindo boots. I guess you could say that I sort of live in my Mindo hunting boots. And right now at MindleUSA.com, you can use promo code MPJOURNEY to get a free pair of socks when you order up a pair of boots. Again, that's promo code MPJOURNEY at MindleUSA.com. Now back to the journey within. Like if I look, the, so I think hands down, right? Like I, I love the Eurolite, but my favorite boot on your guys' line is the Vacuum Hunter. Yes. Just for what, just for what I do, like the mountain hunting, but I also... You know how you get comfortable with something? Like I, I coach basketball a lot and I've got my yeah. favorite basketball shoes, right? You, like you, you get comfortable. And on the, the vacuum hunter, like I feel like I can wear those top of the mountain. I just it's one of those boots I can go and grab anywhere. Yes. Even if I'm just going for a hike with my dogs. I Absolutely. love them. And then I and I added the Euro light in there. Like what what's on, on the line? What are your favorites? Uh when uh Julie sent over the list of questions uh, that we were that we might talk about today, she I saw this on the list and I thought well, I'm going to probably tell you something you don't want to hear. The, the the shoe that I am wearing right now that I love the best is actually a prototype. Um, so it's not okay. even part of our line. Uh, and so I'll I'll caveat a couple things and, and um, feel free to edit this as you choose. But uh, <laughs> vacuum hunters are easily the most versatile boots we sell. And it's, it's without question. Comfort fit hunters are our most comfortable boot without question. And mm -hmm. so I find myself going back and forth between those a lot. And the boot that I'm wearing that's a prototype is actually kind of a melding of those two boots. It's a, it's a little bit vacuum and it's a little bit comfort fit. And uh, we're working on trying to get that to where we can launch another product kind of down the path. But uh, So it'd be the yeah. best of both worlds. Correct. correct. The best of both worlds. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, um, there's not a ton of difference between those those uh, this style that I have and the two that are my my other favorites the comfort fit and the vacuum but uh it's just it's just a very comfortable boot and i, I really enjoy wearing it this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright chloe blazer for brunch Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Well, I know like when I when I get ready for a hunt and I go to choose, like if I look at the hunts that I wore the Euro lights on this year, it was a, a whitetail hunt in Colorado, yeah. spot and stalk, a lot of hiking, but mainly flat. Um Wore it on a white, a couple whitetail hunts down in Texas, uh, hunt down in Mexico, right? Doing walking, but mainly, mainly flat. So again, like what you were mentioning, right? The reason you, you designed it yes. is for that, that type of, of hunt. And that's what I found. Like, I don't need the vacuum hunters for that. Like in the yeah. past, I would have just grabbed them just because like, it's my favorite boot and I'm going to wear it everywhere. You bet. And now I'm like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't need to. Now that there's, there's this boot out there. I'm like, I don't need, I don't need that boot. Like Correct. I can go with the lighter weight a little bit more comfortable, like flat and getting up and down a little bit, but it's like, it's the perfect fit for that in what I, in what I do. So now it's like, I've got two different boots as I sit there and look. And Julie asked when we were getting ready for this, she's like, how many pair of the vacuum hunters have you had? And I'm like, yikes. I mean, I put some miles yes. on. So I, 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 I like, I go through, usually I look at like in the boots last, right? Like that's one of yep. the beauties of it. And I usually have, two or three boots that are at different stages in their life. Yes. And I'm like, well, this one's on the, on the, it, I mean, this is the last season for it. Right. And you pick this one and be like, well, that's not the one that I'm going to wear in Turkey Ibex hunting. Right. Like that's, sure. that's just not that one. I'm going to wear that one in the, in the mountains chasing mule deer or you going elk hunting or you whatever. And, and just kind of keep it, keep it flowing. 
And I'm like, man, I think I've had, I, I mean, I'm, I'm probably almost up to 10, right? Just because like, like it tells you like they're my favorite for, yeah. for a long time yes. wearing, wearing that boot. And everybody asks you like, well, how often do you get the, the, the boot and get it broke in, right? And I tell everybody like, don't show up on a sheep hunt with a brand new pair of boots. It doesn't matter what the boots are. You're just asking for trouble. You are. But these, like I've found on, on the vacuum hunters specifically, the break-in is so easy, so easy for it. And that's why I love it. Like I, how I break my boots in usually is I, I've, I've got a lot of, a lot of bird dogs here. So I'll, I'll get the boots and I start with a short hike on them with, yep. with my bird dogs and kind of, kind of go from there, right? Like it's going to be a short one. And within about a seven to 10 day period, those boots are ready to rock and roll. I mean, it, it doesn't take much for, for me at all. It's kind of the same as you'd break in a basketball shoe, right? Like yep. you can't just get a new pair of basketball shoes and go out there and hit a three and a half hour practice and expect to, to be walking fine at the end. Absolutely. But these, these are ones like you, you hear a lot of the other mountain boots. You're like, well, you need to wear them and, and put like 75 or 80 miles or a hundred miles in them before you go on a hunt. And, and that's just not really realistic for a lot of people. Sure. So the vacuum hunter's easy break-in is one that I tell everybody, like if you're looking for a, a great boot that's going to support you well in the mountain, but has an easy break-in, like that's the one to go to. I absolutely agree with you. We see, and, and uh, I don't recommend this, but if you go back and read some reviews on our boots on our website, you'll find that a lot of people say this. I bought them right out of the box. I took them right, you know, right to my hunt and they were fantastic. No break-in period. <laughs> And see, <laughs> see how the outfitter and me on that one is like, <laughs> nope. oh no, nope. just it's yes. not a good idea. Correct. It's it's a bad idea. And and so every time we read one of those, obviously we're happy because we made that customer happy and they had um you know zero issues with that boot on a on a hunt right out of the box. The answer is exactly what you just said. Get the boots, um, get them well before your hunt. Um at at the bare at the bare minimum, have them for two weeks before you leave. Just put them yep. on your feet. Use them as daily wear. You know, wear them, wear them to yep. work. Wear, wear them. Um, come home from work. Put them on and go for a hike. Just kind of just use them as an everyday shoe for a little while. Get your foot accustomed to wearing them. Get those. You know, get everything to the leather to break where it's supposed to break over the, you know, the balls and the base of the metatarsals, and and make sure that it's doing everything you need it to do because nobody needs a surprise seven miles in on an elk hunt you oh. know and and yeah and really no way to get you out of there if if you've got you know your feet are beat up yeah so we between uh owned outfitters that we do between alberta british columbia and the yukon we run about 25 to 30 sheep hunters a year on okay. our, on our own that we outfit our own then we book for the top people all over Canada. Sure. So we, I mean, we book hundreds a year, but the ones we operate our own is where you always hear the, hear the real stories from the guys we've got running the camps. Right. And you'd be shocked. It's probably of that. So two to four a year show up in camp with new boots. Wow. Just right out of the bag. And you can tell they're getting ready to get on the plane. And it's the first time they're lacing these things <clears> up. And we always get a, get an inreach message or a message right before they leave. We got a guy with new boots again. And you're, and you're like, yikes just you, you put so much time energy effort money into that and you show up with a new pair of boots not even broke in you're like oh man yeah and then it's bar none right almost everybody it depends on the boot but a lot of people they'll get a blister right yeah. off the bat and it yep. just hampers them yep it it, it it impacts the hunt dramatically uh mm -hmm. so many people will go and buy a three thousand dollar rifle a five thousand dollar rifle put a three thousand to five thousand dollar optic on top of it and and go into a massive hunt that they have invested a ton of money in and they don't think about their feet first and oh. i there's nothing you can you cannot shoot a stone sheet from your couch because your feet are blistered up yep. you, you know you have to be you have to be prepared to be on the side of that mountain and you have to have your equipment um all the way down to your boots squared away like you have to have that stuff sorted before you hit the hills and and to do anything less is is it's scary like and, and i i get it from um yeah. being on guided hunts like you you know how, how it is those guides oh. want to make sure that you have success that's that's what they're there for 100 percent. and when yep. you and when you show up and you handicap that guide on minute one day one of the hunt um with something like that you're, you're just making a big mistake yep Yep, they're they are not real happy with you right now. No, no, you're not you're not making friends on day one, that's for sure. No, no. So as people that are listening, 
Um, and boots are tricky, right? Because it's all about fit. Um, what's the best way for people to order the boots? Is it is it online? Is it calling the office if they got questions? Like, what's what's the what way do you recommend to make sure that on their order they get it right the first time? Sure. It's there's a multitude of ways to do it. This is our certainly our preferred method. If you've never worn Mindel boots before, go to a local footwear shop near you. It doesn't matter where, but go in and grab that silver device that every shoe shop has. It's called a brand. And I want you to put your feet in that and I want you to measure them. And I want you to take a picture of your foot, right and left foot. Always measure both feet and uh, send us pictures of, of your picture of your feet in that brand. And we're going to get that. We're going to get you in the right size of the boot the first try, 100% of the time, just without question. The other option, call us. We have boot experts on the phone all day, you know. We're open nine to five mountain time and we have guys answering the phone all day who can answer every question you have about your boots. And if I get on the phone with you and I'll ask you a few questions, what do you wear today? What size is it? What country is it made in? And are you happy with how that boot fits your foot today? And I would say 95 plus percent of the time I can take that information and get you in the right size the first time. And then the other side of it is pay, pay attention to our fitting notes. On every single one of our products, we we fit everything. We put it on multiple feet. We put it on hundreds of feet, if not thousands of feet, and get feedback from all of these people. And we put notes on the website on each boot. So go in there and look in the specs and the details, and it will tell you exactly how that boot fits. Does it fit a little bit large? Does it fit more true to size? Use that information. Believe in that information. A lot of guys are like, well, nope, I'm a size 11. In our boot, I bet you're a 10 and a half. Our boots run, mm-hmm. our, our boots run a little bit big. And some guys are like, no, I'm 11. I've been 11 all my whole life. Trust us. We, we, we put these boots on thousands and thousands of feet. We, we are putting the best information that we can possibly give you in those fitting notes. Is it 100%? No. Somebody's going to have something that's, you know, an anomaly and that's okay. We do free returns. So when you order a boot from us, if it doesn't fit, you ship it back to us and we're, we're going to get you back in the right set. We want you to be confident in your purchase because we know it's not easy to buy footwear on the internet. So we want to make sure that you get exactly what you want. So we, we go out of our way to make sure that at the end of the day, if you have questions or if you have trouble or you have anything you need from the fitting of your boot, we're going to be there to take care of you. Oh, that's how, and so I got to ask one of the things in my brain, how many people have different sizes on their right and their left foot? Uh, I would say 80%. Oh, really? Yeah. That high. Okay. It's, it's now, I mean, it's super often and, um, I'll give you my, my take and, and typically it's not so much that you have to get a different size of boot. It's a quarter of a size. It's, you know, a little bit, but I would say 80% of all people have different size feet and, and what it comes down to, especially if that person was an athlete or did anything athletically, whatever foot their bias is, if they're right footed, that that foot is almost always a little bit shorter and a little bit wider because it's been, okay. it's been used more and the, and the opposite foot. So if you're not, if you're right footed, your left foot would be a little more, a little thinner, maybe a little longer. Now, obviously anatomy, human anatomy and growth and all of that stuff comes <laughs> directly into play, probably even more than the athletic side of things. Just it, it all, it's all how you grew. And, um, we, we that's why we always say measure both feet because i think a lot of people are surprised by the fact that man my left foot is a full half size longer it is and we have to fit that long foot so in that situation we can do some things to make that shorter foot fit well we can do some different lifting techniques we can put some spacers in there we can do different things to make sure that you have the, the best fit you could possibly have um but don't be surprised if you find that you have two feet that are of different size so don't be alarmed once you no. once you find that out because mm-hmm. a lot of people are probably midlife and they haven't realized it. Yet. <laughs> it, it happens a lot. So like if, if and that comes and and you guys will just mix and match. Then say somebody's a ten and a half on the right and a, a ten in the left. You guys will send them which one they need for mm-hmm. each foot to make it work. That that's that's unfortunately in today's day and age of manufacturing, it's it's impossible. In order to okay. in order to build some, I mean, if someone has that dynamic of a difference in size. Um, you're going to have to buy two sets of boots. It's just, okay. and it's, it's, it's terrible, but we don't make individual boots. We make boots in pairs 
And so when all that stuff gets shipped over here from Germany and Italy and all that, it's, I mean, it is a pair. And uh, so we don't really have that capability. We have in the past um, taken a return. If somebody's, if somebody's willing to do it, we can give you a uh-huh. return boot for a much lesser price, you know, and kind of get you situated. But it's just, it's a very difficult thing to do when someone is well, in, that, me- in that place. And, and we'll do everything we can to help them, obviously. But man, it's, it's, a, it's an anomaly and it's something we, we will have to uh, go out of normal course of business to make work. That was I, I was wondering how you could make that work because all I could imagine is in your guys' is storeroom, right? You got a whole bunch of one size on the right, and you got yeah. a whole bunch of one size on the left. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, that just doesn't work. Yeah. Like you can't yeah. do that. No, you can't. It, it would be it would be uh, a very non profitable exercise, and we probably end up having to fold up shop because you just you can't keep up with yeah. it. But at the end yeah. of the day, even if eighty percent of all of the people have a slightly different size foot, ninety probably eight of those percent of those people we can get you in one size of a boot no problem it's because the difference isn't that drastic gotcha gotcha all right well i know you're you're going to be hunting kansas next year do you have anything else planned next year i think i am going to go after a turkey down there this year i uh okay for the first time in three years so i'm very excited about that i will do my um whitetail hunt again i am working right now with uh three of my buddies on heading up to canada on a black bear hunt I used to live in Canada and, and uh, lived up in Winnipeg for almost three years and had a lot of fun and, and uh, bear hunted up there quite a bit during that time. And I haven't been back since. So we kind of want to do a little bit of a reunion bear hunt. And I'm also working with a buddy of mine uh, who runs um, some mountain lion hunting in New Mexico. So uh, that would be after the first of the year and be next January. But uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So that's, that's going to be something I'm going to have to train for and, get ready to go chase a big cat through the through the mountains of, of northern new mexico that's awesome so it's not and not a dry ground not a dry ground cat hunt it'd be up in the up in the mountains where there should have some snow then it, yeah absolutely it is it, okay. is it is it is a cut a track and run kind of on okay in the snow perfect those dry ground hunts can get to be uh pretty challenging <laughs> from time to time i like yes. the snow hunts much better for cats i'm a i'm i'm, I'm a big believer in, in the snow hunting method uh, for chasing the cat because you got those dry land uh, cats are you better have your track legs ready because you're yep. gonna, you're going to be moving. Yep, yep, you're going to be moving and you can run out of time and it, that's, those ones always seem to stretch into a a long long hunt. Thank you. Yeah. Well, perfect. Phil, thanks for your time again today. It's Thank always you, always great catching up. Um, I don't know how we missed talking about 181 inch whitetail last time we did this. <laughs> that seems like that should have should have took up the majority of the conversation on our last last podcast. But happy we got to talk about it today. That's all right. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have that deer be part of my uh, my hunting career. I, that's one of the neatest experiences to to be able to do that and do that on your own property. It's uh, it's it's a pretty cool feeling. Well, that's that's when you know the management's working, right? Yes. And it sounds like you've got three up and comers that it's going to be the same same type of thing. You passed on them this year, and it sounds like, at least for me, judging through, it sounds like one or two of them are going to be on the shooter list this year. I I sure hope so, and I believe that. Um, I I am I am under no delusion that I'll be able to have a hundred eighty inch deer on my farm every year, but I am uh, I will certainly. uh, Utilize my farm and and push myself to ensure that I'm using the best practices of taking good mature, mature bucks and not, uh, you know, not over saturating or over to overtaking anything on the farm. I'm going to, I'm going to be very careful. So that's what it sounds like. It's, but I mean, it's so tough to pass on 150 to 160 inch deer. Like I give you, I give you extreme props for that one. It is so tough, but you've, you've seen, you've seen what you can get on that farm by giving them another year. And, and, and that's how you get through that. Yes. The deer I've passed this year, I, I can promise you my wife is tired of hearing the story of me telling people <laughs> of how much it hurt my feelings to watch that deer walk away because it did. <laughs> there's, there's so did you no doubt. So when you when you when you let it walk away, how soon did the regret come after that? Uh, the moment he was out of bow range, probably about yep. si- about si- about sixty five yards. <laughs> and how long did the regret last for? Oh, it still does to this day. Um, uh, uh, well, I'll tell you this, the regret dropped significantly when I found out he made it through ceiling. 
right? Yep. So that's that's mm-hmm. always the thing that you're so concerned about. Um, obviously, hunting pressure and your neighbors and all the things that are going on. The moment you let a beautiful deer walk, like you, the first concern is, is oh my goodness, I hope the neighbors don't shoot that deer. But then obviously, yep. you know, you, you don't want to like you don't want to um, like wish poor hunting on your neighbors, <laughs> you know. But at the same time, you're like man. I hope they see that deer and I hope they realize it's only four and, and then next year it's going to be a giant. Please let it walk. And uh, luckily I think that that may very well be the case. Oh, that's, that's when it's like, you, you gotta have, you gotta be doing the same thing your neighbors do. Right. Yes. And it would like, and it sounds like you're in a block of neighbors that all have the same mentality of, yes. we want to grow giant deer, not yes. good deer. We want to grow old giants. So, like we're we're in a cluster here to where we've got a couple good neighbors. Yes. But a couple doesn't work. It's got to be everybody cuz then all of a sudden you've got a really good deer that a couple people have passed on and it goes to the neighbor to the north or whatever and they're going to shoot it. And you're like, "Well, Darn it. shoot. We passed on that deer yeah. twice this year and the neighbor over here passed on them yes. too." And you're like, "Ah, then you so it's like when you when you get in that cluster to where everybody's on the same page, that's where you don't get the the hurt feelings of and so forth back and yes. forth and and that's when you can grow a 180 inch deer yeah it's not not every neighbor relationship is perfect but if you can have a working relationship with your neighbors via hunting to have a conversation to have that that conservation plan to have that um, thought process of we need to build if we want big deer we have to build for big deer big deer are not an accident big deer are there because they have everything they need to survive they have cover they have food they have water they have all the things that they feel comfortable with and how mm-hmm. can you do that with you and your neighboring properties to ensure that at the end of the day deer want to be where you are exactly awesome. all right have a great day thanks mark you too appreciate it yep see ya Bye. Thanks for all your support and downloads. If you like this episode, please go and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as that always helps. Do you want to book that hunt of a lifetime? Then give the team at Worldwide Trophy Adventures a call at 1-800-346-8747. Or if you want to start a tags portfolio for those limited entry tags, call 1-800-755-8247. Enjoy your journey.